BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Yo, next round is about to start. You ready? Yeah, yeah, just shopping for a car in Carvana. For real? Yeah, Carvana makes it super convenient to shop whenever, wherever. For real? That's a ton of car options. Yep, and these are all within my price range. For really real? You can afford that? Yeah, with Carvana. And boom, just like that, I'm getting it delivered in a couple days. For really, really real? You just bought a car. For real, and you just lost. My turn. Visit Carvana.com to shop for thousands of vehicles under $20,000. I know you're paying attention to global events as well as what's going on in our nation. War and increased conflict is bubbling up in more places. Countries are buying and hoarding massive amounts of gold. Why aren't you? It's time to pull the trigger with the Oxford Gold Group and buy gold and silver. Nobody can predict the future, but we can't put our head in the sand either. Call Oxford Gold Group right now, and you may qualify for up to $10,000 in free precious metals. Call 833-995-GOLD. That's 833-995-GOLD. 833-995-G-O-L-D. Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast. Welcome in Tuesday edition, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. Appreciate all of you hanging out with us. Lots to dive into as we come up on the end of November, and we are going to be very rapidly able to say in one month, voting starts for the 2024 election. And many of you listening to us in Iowa, New Hampshire, and certainly any bordering state in that region feel like the election has been going on for a long time now based on all of the political advertisements you have been seeing. Uh, and as we get ready for Ron DeSantis to debate against Gavin Newsom on Thursday and what will be the fourth Republican primary debate next week, uh, it should be taking place in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, with Chris Christie, Vivek Ramaswamy, Nikki Haley, and Ron DeSantis on the stage. I think it is fair to say, as we sit here uh, really about six weeks out from official voting, that right now the great debate that is going on in the Republican primary electorate is Trump versus who. And I'm reading from the New York Times this morning Uh, The Koch Network has endorsed Nikki Haley in, and I'm reading this New York Times headline, in a bid to push Republicans past Trump. The support will give Haley more organizational strength as she battles Ron DeSantis for the number two spot in the Republican presidential race. Uh, And this is uh, the Koch Network theoretically going to lead to tens of millions of dollars being spent on behalf of Nikki Haley. And, Buck, what stands out to me about this is right now we seem to be in a pause where it's not so much everyone running against the leader, Trump, as it is, okay, who is going to be the alternative to Trump in the Republican primary? It's fair to say it's down to Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley. I like Vivek. You like Vivek. We've had Chris Christie on the show. Those guys don't really have a chance to become the alternative. 
it is going to be Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis. But my question for you, Buck, is, is it the case that as now Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis are likely turning their guns on each other and trying to be the surviving number two, the alternative to Trump, that this is the best possible thing that could ever happen to Trump and that while there is a battle to figure out who's going to be in second place, by the time a second place uh, is determined, Trump is already going to have won the nomination and it's not going to matter. How would you assess the so-called horse race? Because I think that is six weeks out the number one story, not who's going to be running against Trump, but who is the primary alternative to Trump? Well, clearly something is going on here because uh, the Haley and DeSantis super PACs are attacking each other. Millions of dollars spent now recently going after each other instead of going after Trump, the front runner. Um, I-, I see a couple of different versions of the strategy here unfolding before us. Uh, on the one hand, I think it's possible that both of the and this is certainly what they would say openly right i mean option a i think is the official position and it would be that the desantis and haley camps are saying the other one depending on which one you're talking about the other second tier needs to get out so i can square off against trump which right you and i've been talking about looking at those numbers that's option a option b is a little, a little bit of a, of a, of a different, uh, a different vibe, which is that they're hoping to be in a second place position. I mean, specifically, I think for the Nikki Haley camp, where it's a contest to be vice president effectively, right? Like Trump's only got one term. For if yeah. Haley can assure herself a VP ticket with Trump, and then bring that together, meaning her voters, his voters, she only gets to, she only has to be the VP for two years. Basically. basically and then she starts running for president then she's going out raising her own money and do and maybe does so with the blessing of trump right that's option b i think that's the less likely strategy maybe that's the plan b here the secondary option um and i i'm, I'm trying to think if there's a viable option c a viable third third way here um the only thing would be that the haley and desantis campaigns figure they just have to stay in long enough and no one will say this out loud but they just have to stay in long enough to see you know maybe trump ends up running into some trouble here with these prosecutions and maybe the numbers shift and maybe things you know that would be i think the third the third way the third plan am i missing anything or do you disagree with any of those no i mean here's my thought of where we're headed i think ron DeSantis is going to come in second place in iowa and then i think nikki haley is going to come in second place in new hampshire And as a result, both of them are going to claim they're actually the primary challenger to Trump, which means we roll on into, I think, South Carolina, Nevada, these other states, and Trump is going against Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis. I think Vivek will hold on. I think Chris Christie after New Hampshire will drop out and endorse either Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis, which he basically said he would do on this show Wednesday, if he were not the alternative to Trump, that he would endorse Haley or DeSantis. He thought that both of them would make good presidents. The problem is that I see, and look, open phone lines, we don't have any guests today, 800-282-2882. You're welcome to tell Buck or myself, what are we missing? I think that this battle for who is going to be the alternative to Trump is hugely beneficial for Trump. 
And so the idea, this was the whole thing that happened, Buck, in 2016, which is sooner or later you're going to be on the stage 1v1 versus Trump, and Trump will collapse then. I just keep coming back to the raw math. And you can correct me if I'm wrong out there and you are a diehard Nikki Haley supporter. I think that Ron DeSantis, if he decided tomorrow, hey, I'm dropping out of this race, I think Ron DeSantis supporters would overwhelmingly go to Trump. In other words, I don't see, and tell me where I'm wrong. There are Nikki Haley people out there listening right now. Tell me why you think I'm wrong. I don't see how Nikki Haley wins a 1v1 versus Trump because I think Vivek supporters go to Trump. I think DeSantis's supporters go to Trump. I mean, the majority of them. And if Nikki Haley's already 40 points behind or 30 points or whatever you want to say she is in, in Iowa and New Hampshire, I, I am not a mathematical scholar, Buck, but I'm pretty good at mathematical ideas. The, in fact, you, I think I've said this to you before. You'll appreciate this. The only math course I took in college was mathematical ideas. That's literally what the well, class that sounds is called. really, really numerical and intense. Yes. And it was me and every sorority girl at George Washington University. It's maybe the best course selection choice I ever made. Um, not diehard math, right? But I'm pretty good at mathematical concepts. And the raw math, if I'm standing in front of a, a board right now and I'm drawing it, Nikki Haley's supporters are not going to Trump. DeSantis supporters, I think the majority of them would go to Trump. I don't see how the math works out here for Nikki Haley. What am I missing? So... If if I'm advising Nikki Haley behind the scenes, um, if I'm giving her my my sort of best sense of what's going to happen here, I don't see how she could have a safer play than look. She, everyone has to see what the voting is in Iowa, New Hampshire, and then I think there may be deals to be struck. I think you're right. I think that Desantis is likely to come in second in Iowa. If DeSantis pulls out a win there, there is this theory that then the dominoes all fall and people change their minds. I, I I mean, that would be the biggest come from behind. I'm not saying it's impossible. I don't know. I always point out no one can predict the future. But to me, if DeSantis is able to win in Iowa, maybe something big happens. If he comes in second and then Haley comes in second in New Hampshire, um, if I'm the Haley camp, I say, look, if you can bring together the donor class with with Trump world, you win, you win the primary. I, I don't you know that my pitch would be, hey, Donald, woman VP who is tight with the donor class who worked in your administration that, that as... left your administration in good good stead. See, that's my thing. I don't think Nikki Haley's really buck trying to win. Well, but but if she's trying to be VP, she's playing it very Perfect. well because what she ends up doing here in this process, this is what I was going to go to is she is effect she has taken the mantle from Vivek of the other person in the race who is boxing out Ron DeSantis. She is doing a better job to box out the DeSantis team than Vivek is right now. Um, and that is clearly catching the eye of Trump world. And you'll notice she does. I, have I missed anything? She doesn't go after Trump all that hard. She'll say, Oh, I think I'm better at the job. Well, you know, everyone should say that if they're going to run for president, but she hasn't, she's not, you know, uh, talking about the insurrection or saying that 2020 wasn't stolen or whatever. She's not going after Trump hard. I think she's leaving the option. Yeah, I just, again, it, basic mathematics. And, and I'm open to, again, I took mathematical ideas. I am, I am not, uh, you know, uh, a, a genius when it comes to, uh, to, to, to mathematics. I'm not Pythagoras here. Um, but I do look at this and just say 
man, as I look at this and think about the way it's going to play out, Nikki Haley is setting herself up to be Donald Trump's vice president. She's not setting herself up to beat Trump. Ron DeSantis, I think both of us agree, Buck, will not take the VP role from Donald Trump. Like he, like no, no way, no. I mean, look if, yes. again. If we were sitting there and being asked to coach or or advise any respective team here, if you're if you're DeSantis team, you you finish out being governor and then you gear up for 2028. I don't think you take. I don't think you take a VP slot. I think that's right. Okay, so if if you are out there. And I don't know what the percentage of our audience is, but let's say it's 40, let's say it's 45%, let's say it's 35%. If you are diehard anti-Trump, I think your only option at this point is Ron DeSantis. Now, I'm not sure that the math would add up for Ron DeSantis, because I think the kill shot here would be Trump just coming over the top and getting Nikki Haley as his VP. <laughs> and, you know, just basically saying this thing's over. And, and at that point, he could probably also offer Vivek something. Oh, yeah, certainly. Look, I think Vivek could be Secretary of the Treasury, like, whatever. My argument is, if Nikki Haley really doesn't want Trump to be president, I don't see how she beats Trump. And I'm not sure Ron DeSantis, again, it comes down to the math, I'm not sure if Ron DeSantis, but if if Nikki Haley really doesn't want Trump to be president, you can say a lot of things about Chris Christie, right? Chris Christie does not want Donald Trump to be president. Even the most ardent anti-Chris Christie audience member out there would have to nod along and say, yeah, you know, like Chris Christie. So Chris Christie, I think, would say, hey, would you be attorney general uh, in a uh, Ron DeSantis administration? I think the only way Trump could lose, and I think it requires actually uh, a, a raw acknowledgement of the math, would be if Nikki Haley and Chris Christie said, we're all in with Ron DeSantis we are running as a team against Donald Trump. I don't think that that selflessness buck exists, and I don't think that actually they care that much about beating Trump if it requires them to subsume their ambitions and make it less likely for them to be president. I mean, look, Ron Ron is a very, you know, you and I both know Governor DeSantis. He's a very smart guy. And if you're looking at this, again, just from the perspective of what makes the most sense for the individual, whether one agrees with this or not, if you're Ron DeSantis, you look at Trump, uh, a possible VP situation, you think, how'd it go for the last Trump VP? And that's why I think he won't take it. Nikki Haley has a pretty good relationship with Trump already from working for him as U.S. ambassador to the United Nations. And that, to me, is is the difference. I think she would be willing to do it. So that changes things. But nothing's really going to, I don't think we're going to see any, any, what did I call it yesterday, a tectonic shift? I kind of like that. No major shifts will happen between now and... um uh, the Iowa caucuses. I don't. But think you agree with me out. on the math here, like, and I'm I'm open to callers telling me I'm crazy. And again, I'm not a mathematical genius. I just I don't see how the math adds up for Nikki Haley to beat Donald Trump. I mean, it reminds me a lot of 2016, 2015, 2016 at this point, where there were a few people, as we said yesterday, there was Ted Cruz, there was Marco Rubio, there was John Kasich, and they all stayed in. And the for the for the never Trump or non Trump vote at that point, a lot of them were actually non Trump. There's really not. People always talk about never Trump. Never Trump is like five guys raising money from Democrats. There's very little never Trump and getting really super in the GOP. rich in the process. By the way, yeah. those guys who are the the Democrats. Uh, true, who claim to true. Be never Trump is called the Democrat, right? So we, we've already we've already seen that. But but you know, non-Trump or not not fired up about. I'm talking about 2016 now, just to be clear. Um, non-Trump voters in 2016, early in the primary, were hoping there'd be some kind of a 
opposition unity ticket to Trump, and it just never materialized. And yeah. Kasich kept his 10, 11, 12% deep into the primary, and you had MAGA for four years. Well, and that's why the math on this, to me, it ultimately is just a mathematical equation. As everybody drops out, those voters go to someone else. I just come back to Nikki Haley's voters are likely to remain anti-Trump, which would mean they would go to Ron DeSantis. I think a lot of Ron DeSantis, the majority of Ron DeSantis' support, would actually begrudgingly go to Trump. Now, maybe I'm wrong on that. Maybe they'd all go to Nikki Haley. If I am, then we actually have a battle for who could beat Trump. I don't think I am. I think that most DeSantis supporters would end up going to Trump. Cyber Monday can lead into Cyber Theft Tuesday if you don't have LifeLock. I guarantee there are hackers working double time right now, breaking into databases flush with new customer data. If you make online purchases, whether during Cyber Monday or any time of the year, you need online identity theft protection. The best comes from LifeLock. They carefully monitor billions of online transactions looking for evidence of fraudulent activity. When they spot it, they're in touch with you immediately. They'll give you the details, and then you determine if it's fraud or not. If it is, LifeLock's got dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialists, one of which will work with you to fix it. It's easy to help protect yourself with LifeLock. Join now. Save 25% off your first year with promo code CLAY. Call 1-800-LIFELOCK or head to LifeLock.com and use that promo code CLAY for 25% off. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com news and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com news. Identity theft protection starts here. Why are people still on the fence about owning gold and silver? I just don't understand. Have we already forgotten about regional bank closures, inflation, global instability, and the potential for serious world conflicts? You can look to precious metals for various reasons. One, having tangible currency on hand as part of your bug-out plan. Two, diversifying your portfolio as a hedge against inflation. And three, historically, gold increases in value over time. You keep yourself informed about global events. You see the increase in conflicts around the globe. Countries are buying and hoarding massive amounts of gold. Why aren't you? It's time to pull the trigger with the Oxford Gold Group and buy gold and silver. Nobody can predict the future, but we can't put our head in the sand either. 
The people with Oxford Gold Group are real pros. They make owning gold and silver simple and easy to understand. Call Oxford Gold Group right now and you may qualify for up to $10,000 in free precious metals. Call 833-995-GOLD. That's 833-995-GOLD. One more time, 833-995-G-O-L-D. Let's talk about something that I think is going to be one of the primary uh, issues and concerns of the entire 2024 election cycle. going to affect not just the presidential race, but key Senate races, congressional races, um, because people realize now that as the phrase has become more popular, every state is a border state, every town is a border town. When you have over 6 million I- illegal entries into the country in less than four years, it'll probably be 7 or 8 million by the time we find out who the next president is and, and who has control of the Congress, uh, the next Congress. Uh, when you're looking at numbers like that, everyone recognizes, or rather anyone who's paying attention recognizes how big a challenge it is and how big of a problem it is for the country. But let's let's put some numbers to this, Clay, because I, I, there's, there's a bunch of data that has just come out in recent days. And actually, here is a Fox. Let's start with this one. This is Cut 20, a Fox business reporter um, who has done the math on what does it cost the U.S. As you're Thinking about, I'm already starting to think about, oh gosh, I got to start pulling together all my stuff to file taxes for next year because it takes forever because it's so complicated. What are we paying in this country? What are you paying as the price for everything you need goes up all the time? What are you paying for illegal immigrants? Play 20. We have new numbers, a new report from the U.S. House Committee on Homeland Security Majority. They say the price tag per year is 451 billion dollars. That is both for the housing and care of the asylum seekers as well as those known godaways. So we're looking at half a trillion pretty much, getting pretty close there. That that seems like seems like a big deal, Clay. And what I think is so funny is uh not funny but interesting is that the the way the Daily Mail British uh news site posed what Texas has done. They said Texas spent a staggering 86 million dollars Bussing migrants to New York City, Chicago, Philadelphia, Los Angeles, and D.C. Meanwhile, places like New York City, which only got a fraction of the migrants, are spending $4 billion a year. $12 billion over three years is the New York City official projection for illegal immigrants, their cost, their housing. And they're saying, oh, Texas spent $80 million? Yeah, I'd much rather have my state budget get hit for 80 million and not have to worry about the problem than have to spend 4 billion. We're, you know, we're not big numbers guys, but these numbers are pretty easy. Yeah, the math isn't that hard uh to uh, to add up when it's going out as opposed to coming in. And you know this is becoming a political albatross for Joe Biden buck because I read a story, I think on Sunday, maybe it was yesterday, saying that there's quiet momentum to basically end the asylum rules. Yes. And start to modify them so that you can't just claim asylum and immediately get into the country. Uh, and that is a sign of how politically toxic this is for Joe Biden and his administration. The piece in the Wall Street Journal I think you're referring to, I have it in front of me. Senators top target in border talks, tighter asylum rules for migrants. This is what I've been pounding the table about here, not just on this show, for years 
Because people will talk about, they'll talk about border security, and they'll say the wall, and they'll say we need more border patrol agents, got to stop the fentanyl, got to deal with the cartels. All of that is true, but if people can show up at our border, flag down border patrol, there's people that need to understand, We're, the gotaways are a separate issue, the drug cartel, drug smuggling, that's that's a separate, related, but a separate issue. Most of the people that are doing illegal entry show up and say, hi, I have a fear of persecution in my home country, and I want asylum. And that is it. That's all they have to do. And then they get processed. They get led into the country. Maybe they get a ticket to appear. Maybe they don't. They just told to check in to some immigration facility on their own, and they just disappear into the American interior. If you don't change that, Clay, nothing else we do with the border matters. You can build a hundred, you could have a, you know, a, a wall, a moat, you could have all the drones and security imaginable. If you can get waved down and say, Hey guys, I'm at a port of entry. I'm just going to walk in now and you're going to give me asylum or just find a place where there's, you know, a, a space in the wall or whatever. Um, then it doesn't change. Democrats realize this to your point. Washington Post, uh, published just a few days ago an op-ed just with some of the numbers here. Um, showing that Democrats are very concerned about this one. But I'll just give you this. 53% of New York Democrats say that New York has done enough for migrants and needs to stop the flow. Of New York Democrats. Yeah. Well, that this is where you know that it's a major issue. When Eric Adams and uh, in New York City and when you've got uh, uh, all of these different big city mayors suddenly lining up muriel bowser i think is the mayor of washington dc lining up and saying this isn't working for us we've got to fix it and we i don't think we even hardly talked about this on the program very much buck but how about the fact that eric adams who has been probably the biggest outspoken opponent to the migrant situation in america big city mayor got uh his top campaign fundraiser rated on the day he was supposed to speak about the migrant crisis in D.C. He cancels everything. Then the FBI seizes his phones and his iPad as a part of an investigation into whether or not he's received improper campaign donations from Turkey. This, to me, again, it's not even Biden just weaponizing his Department of Justice against the political party in opposition to him. It's also anyone inside the Democrat Party who raises any sort of issues with the way this thing is going. But you're starting to see in the numbers, we talked about the polls earlier for Joe Biden. One of the real issues that Biden has is he's hemorrhaging minority support. Uh, Black, uh, Asian, Hispanic, they are leaving the Democrat Party, according to these polls, at at levels that we have not seen before. And much of it, I think, Buck, is in Chicago... And in New York City and in Washington, D.C. and in a lot of these big cities that are overloaded with migrants, minorities are looking around and saying, wait a minute, you're spending billions of dollars on illegal immigrants and our communities aren't taken care of. That's a conflict. Again, it's the identity politics coalition of the Democrat Party coming into uh, direct conflict with each other. And you have to pick a side. It's white liberals in rich Democrat enclaves of the country who are the open borders people. They're the ones who want the open borders, uh, overwhelmingly. They'll, they'll fund organizations that maybe have somebody who 
you know, is like a, a Latino spokesperson or something to help with border communities, whatever it may be. But they ultimately, it is the Pelosi's and the Schumer's of the world who want open borders. And let's be honest, they want it because the donor class wants it. They want um, they're on board with this. But to your point about about minority support for it, um, a lot of minorities, I think, rightly. I mean, when I say minorities, black Americans, Latino Americans and and, you know, other groups you could put in the same on the same side of this are looking at. You're spending billions of dollars. People aren't even supposed to be in the country legally, right? And I think some immigrants, too, even realize, hold on a second. I went through some process. I had to wait years. I had to pay immigration lawyers. I could have just said, oh, I'm scared to be in my home country. Is it true or not? Who cares? I think lying should matter, by the way. Lying to federal officials is actually a crime. Just I, I know we only enforce laws very selectively now in, in the new era of America we're in. But, you know, Social Security card uh, presentation fraud uh signing documents that say you're a citizen or that you're legally working here. these are all crimes lying to immigration officials at the border that's a crime entering the u.s without permission crossing our our federal uh boundary at the southern border that's a crime these are all violations of law why are we not supposed to care i'm supposed to pay my taxes but all the illegal stuff that's going on with immigration that's supposed to be fine based on what based on the uh the power needs of democrats i i don't sign on to that one i, I can't say that's okay with me I also wonder to what extent, you know, Trump did everything that the Republican Party brain trust said he should not do in 2016, and he won. And not only did he win, he's increased his minority support as people have become more uh, aware of him and aware of his policies. 2020, now 2024, uh, I think the numbers are reflecting that if Trump's the nominee, he will have more minority support than maybe any Republican has ever had uh, among black voters, for instance, and and certainly Hispanic vote is uh, is increasing. I wonder if if Democrats, Buck, ever start to look back at these uh, at these numbers because here's the reality of yeah, can why. I, can they I give you some it. of the numbers yeah. real real quick? Yeah. I mean, because the Washington Post wrote this op-ed, and this is why they're at least they at least have to make the noise. This always happens in election cycles. Democrats go, we care about the border too, and okay, maybe it is kind of they start they start pivoting a little bit toward the center because the country. All the polling shows this. The country is not with them on this open border stuff. They lie about it. They try to come up with polls like, oh, do you like immigrants or not? Well, that's not what the issue is. The issue is illegal immigration at our southern border. That's a violation of law and an exploitation of asylum. Okay, majority of Democrats. Okay, this is a Fox News poll. But earlier this month, the majority of Democrats very concerned about border security. Uh, Quinnipiac polling this month, 71% of independents and 30% of Democrats disapproved of Biden's handling of immigration. I could say, okay, only 30% disapprove of Biden overall on this. 71% of independents? That's a rough number for these Democrats going into the election year. Even 30% of your own political party disapproving of your position on something. I mean, I think the numbers reflect that immigration is the single weakest of all of Joe Biden's policies in terms of independence and national response. And so that's why they're trying to uh, figure out a way to take action on what's going on in our southern border. The challenge, and as you well know, Buck, the challenge here is, will anything get passed? Who knows? Um, and the problem is, it takes months for the, uh, the, the action to have consequences in terms of border flow. And in the meantime, we've got 8 million people across the border. I do think... One of the ultimate plays here 
has been all of these people are going to come to the country and they're likely Democrat voters and this will guarantee that we win elections long into the future. I, I don't think there's any doubt that that is the calculus behind why these open border policies are in many ways embraced. The challenge is, what if that calculus is wrong? What what if really the population is increasing and the numbers are roughly staying the same in terms of Hispanic support for uh, Democrats and Republicans? Heck, what if as Hispanics live in the country, they become more conservative? Uh, I'm talking about legal immigrants because they look around and they say, there's a lot of craziness in the Democrat Party right now. Um, and I think it's going to take at some point a, this is my theory, and I've had this theory for a while, the identity politics coalition of the Democrat Party is not sustainable. At some point, it's going to explode and feed on itself. Maybe Israel, the situation there, is starting to accelerate that. Um, but certainly, we had already seen minority voters fleeing before we even got to this situation. And I think the border is a big reason why. I hope so. We do get excited about this stuff. I feel like every election cycle and there'll probably be some nonprofit that comes forward. That's like, we're going to win. We're going to win the black American vote this year as Republicans, or we're going to get, you know, 65% of Latino vote. And I'm just saying it never somehow never materializes, but maybe this time around, uh, we'll actually make some headway and it'll make the difference. That would be nice. There's no denying the impact that AI has had in such a short amount of time. Between the smart devices we have in our homes, the first autonomous vehicles, and advanced diagnostic tools in the healthcare industry, it's safe to say AI isn't going anywhere. Tech expert Colin Tedards believes this is the beginning of a new era that could make you rich. He's been writing about AI for quite some time now. When the market hit rock bottom a year ago this month, Colin recommended shares of a top software company. That software company is up over 200% since then. And anyone who listened to Colin had a chance to more than double their money in less than a year. But now he's recommending a new AI company that he says could do even better. And he says he's found a way for you to profit from this new AI project right from your brokerage account. Go to newaiproject.com. That's newaiproject.com to learn more. Newaiproject.com. Paid for by Brownstone Research. So we're talking about the the big debate, global debate that is uh, happening every day now over the Israeli response to Hamas's October 7th mass casualty terror attack, mass murder and mass rape terror attack. And, and I do think uh, that that does not get brought into the conversation enough. Um, I, I appreciate that Douglas Murray made the point. And this went very viral. We play this for you on the show that it, it is a historical fact that there were there were high level Nazis who recognized that what they were doing was evil. They still did it. There's this is not in any way mitigating um, the evil of what they did, but they recognized the evil. And so some of them had to turn to extremely high levels of drinking. They would have to get very, very drunk before they would do some of the executions. Again, Doug Murray talked about this, and we played that clip for you on the show. And you can then compare that with the reports and the audio of Hamas terrorists calling their parents to say, I just cut the head off of a Jew. I'm a hero now. I mean, the true vile psychopathy that is not only 
uh, celebrated by members of Hamas, but there's broad support for Hamas inside of Gaza, which you will also not hear very much now. These are uncomfortable truths, but th- these are realities as well. And if you've seen some of the videos of the Israeli hostages being taken away to be traded and the uh, way that people on the street in Gaza um, respond to this, you know, they're basically act like uh you know they're they're an angry jeering mob at these hostages who have been taken so piers morgan who sometimes says things that i agree with sometimes says things that i think are very dumb and i would say that to him if he were here on the show we'll probably have him on at some point occasionally he's right sometimes he's a buffoon um, or i should say his opinions i feel are deeply ignorant and very wrong buffoon is you know that's a little unfair um, here he he's is. He's not though. an unintelligent guy. That's what I mean. That's correct. Yeah. I think he's deeply wrong on some things. I'm not saying he's a dumb guy. Um, but I think he's right on some things too. We've played when he's right. Here he is though. He's asking a question. I think we should try to answer this question about when is Israel going too far? Play seven. I've been picked up this weekend by people reminding me of tweets from 2014. Back then, Israel launched a massive bombardment of Gaza in response to the murder of three Israeli teenagers in the West Bank. What happened? I'm asked. Why did I change my position? Well, I haven't changed my position. Israel committed atrocities in 2014, in my estimation. It was a completely disproportionate response to what had happened. It looked more like revenge to me than a military strategy. And President Obama told them to call it off. Well, during that bombardment, I asked, at what point does Israel's current military strategy become the very terrorism it professes to be fighting? And today, I'm beginning to ask myself that exact same question. Now, Clay, this I could I could cite another British voice on this one who has since passed away, Christopher Hitchens, who, while again wrong on some things, understood the threat of radical Islam very well, and said that the root fallacy in the fight against radical Islam is that the fighting against terrorism is the cause of it, and that this is very popular on the left. You'll often see this: this leftist in this country, college campuses, leftists in the media, you know, they'll say, "Well, for every terrorist we kill, we create a hundred more." For example, well, what are we supposed to do then? What What is the response supposed to be when they invade your country effectively and rape and murder to the greatest degree they possibly can civilians? Then we go to the negotiating table and say, you know what? We're going to send you more aid. We're going to give you more money. No, you have to go and kill them. Elon Musk just visited Israel. Here's what he says. Cut six. He understands this moment. There are three things that need to happen uh, in, in the Gaza situation. I mean, there's no choice but to kill those who insist on uh, murdering civilians. There's no choice. Um, They're not going to change their mind. But And then the second thing is to change the the education so that a a new generation of of murderers is not trained to be murderers. And And then the third thing, which is also very important, is to try to build prosperity. He's basically saying you've got to fix Gaza, and it's on Gaza to be fixed because the, the rot stretches far beyond Hamas. But, Clay, to, to the question Piers Morgan asks, uh, or th- that he's raising, when does, Israel, when does the Israeli response become terrorism? It becomes terrorism when Israel decides they're going to kill as many civilians as they possibly can, which they don't do. So it is yeah. not terrorism. No, you're 100% right. And I think it's important to point out that Elon Musk is being characterized as an anti-Semite. Uh, and that there are a lot of different brands that are pulling their advertising off of Twitter because he has been unwilling to uh, tiptoe up to the truth here, which is 
good and evil exists. And I, I think maybe this is, you know, I had this conversation with some people around Thanksgiving. I hope some of you did with your kids and your grandkids. The illusion that everything is gray. That is, there is no black and white, there is no good and evil, has, I think, taken over much of the United States. And I think it's because, by and large, and I'm curious if you would agree with this thesis, Buck, most Americans, thankfully, do not experience evil in our day-to-day life. Most. Now, occasionally you or your close relatives, your friends, your family may be a victim of some sort of violent crime. And you may, for a pinprick of time, stare into what it is to see evil in this country. But I think most Americans, we have created a society, particularly if you are wealthy or you are upper middle class, where actual evil doesn't exist in your life. And kids need to buy into the idea I think that they are on the side of truth and justice. That's part of growing up, that you are going to fight for a cause. And the cause isn't actually anything in the good and evil realm. It's, oh my goodness, somebody has a different opinion than me on social media. And so they aren't able to even recognize evil when they see it, which is scary. That's the critical point. Because when you said that they, they don't believe that there's evil, no, no. They just don't recognize what is evil and have yes. replaced it with fashions and uh, widespread trends and, and, and sort of a mass delusion theory about things like, you know, it, you're, you're literally committing genocide, they will say, against trans people by negating their transition or negating their, you know, their gender pronouns. I mean, this is crazy. They believe yes. this. You're actually helping bring about the end of humanity. If you don't address the imminent threat of climate change, which is insane. I mean, these are crazy ideas, but what they've done is the that impulse that we have, that we all have as human beings, I think, to do good and to fight against evil. They've replaced what is good and evil in their minds, and the left adopts a philosophy of moral relativity and collectivism. So they sign on to these things. They sign on to the battle against these these great evils in their minds. That in some cases are entire, just entirely irrelevant. I mean, it's, it's a phantom, but also makes them useful, Saul Alinsky style, for the mobilization against political opponents. And in this case, their political opponents are people like you and me in this audience who recognize that Hamas are the bad guys. And all this other, all this other talk about, oh, but they're oppressed or look at history or it's gray or whatever. No, no. At some point, the guy who's breaking into a house to murder the whole family and steal everything they have is just the bad guy. Yes. I don't care how he grew up. I don't care what was done to him 20 years ago. I don't care about, you know, historical oppression or whatever. He's just the bad guy. And you want to help that homeowner defend himself and eliminate the th- for civilization. Yeah. And increasingly, it seems to me, and we'll talk about this some in the third hour, the left focuses on things that are not actual crimes and treats them as moral, uh, morally indefensible, like this little kid uh, painting his face and going to a football game while refusing to condemn actual violence. And here's the reality. Everybody before us was not an imbecile, right? Um, Part of, I think, conservatism in general is presuming that people who lived and died before you were not all total morons, that they did understand some of what it was to be human. 
Buck, the entire precept of our criminal justice code, to your point, is that we rank violence and treat violent crimes differently. Murder in the first degree is different than uh, than jaywalking, uh, right? And the punishments for crimes should be commensurate with the quality and severity of those crimes. And we don't even we're not able to do that in this day and age. Younger people have lost that ability. Yeah, an, an understanding of of degree and severity is, I think, one of the most important things that you can have as as judgment. I mean, to be, to be able to be a person of judgment or a nation that can exercise judgment, you can understand that there are things that can be broadly similar, but there are critical distinctions within them. I give a perfect example. I mean, the Soviets when they were running anti-U.S. propaganda, um, and don't even get me started on Oppenheimer again, that commie trash movie, but uh, when they're running, you know, propaganda, they would always talk about America, America's history of um, of slavery. You know, well, yeah. it's like, well, they're doing this in the 1960s, 1970s, 1980s. Why are they talking about America's history of slavery? And any time they would be pressed on an issue, they would revert. They, they same thing in Cuba. All the worst dictators, all the worst authoritarians, they will find those who actually stand for freedom and point out that they are imperfect and then say, so we don't have to. Ahmadinejad, you remember him? Yeah. Leader of Iran back in the day, invited to Columbia University in 2007. I'll never forget this. I was still at the CIA at the time. I was just reading about the newspapers. Ahmadinejad, president of Iran, shows up at Columbia University. And, you know, all those kids are there to hear about, oh, yeah, and like oppression and the Zionist entity. And we see what goes on on campuses. But they realized, hold on a second. When he was asked about gay people in his country and oppression of gays, you know what he said, right? We don't have any gay people. Oh yeah, I remember that. And 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 the, all of a sudden, the left was like, "Oh, wait a wait a second, wait a second, because he's an evil man representing an evil regime, and his criticisms of the U.S. are made in entirely bad faith." Very similar to what I see going on with Hamas and the Palestinian cause. By the way, all these people say, "Oh, you just want all the Palestinians to die." Anyone who says that on my Twitter mentions is a moron. I don't even engage with them because, of course, that's not true. And if Israel wanted every Palestinian to die in Gaza, you know what they could do? Exactly that. But they don't want to do that because they try to act with morality. China, to build on your analogy, in its most recent one of its most recent meetings with America, spent almost the entire uh, meeting in the public sphere arguing that America didn't have to be accepted uh, because of its legacy of racism. Yeah, I mean, this is what you, I mean, the, the Hamas-Israel thing, if you're like, if you sat down with somebody, Clay, who's a serial killer, and you're like, why'd you kill all those people? And he's like, Clay, why did you speed five years ago? You're a criminal, too. Yeah. Well, but that's not how morality works, folks, is it? But you look at the left, that's exactly what they're doing now with Israel and Palestine. And when is it terrorism when Israel responds? Uh, you know it when you see it. And what they're doing is a military campaign to destroy a terrorist entity that's a continuous threat to the Israeli people. All right, 800-282-2882 on those lines. Give us a call. Let us know what you think. You know, one of the greatest joys you can give your family is the ability to relive precious memories. That happens with the help of Legacy Box, the company in Tennessee that's digitally transferring memories from old videotapes and films onto digital files. More than a million families have benefited from the technology and know-how that Legacy Box operates with. Every videotape you send to them is hand-transferred. The same thing is true with your old Super 8 film and photos as well. In a few short weeks from the time you send them your old memories on tape and film, they send you back those new digital files. They're the kind you watch on your phone, share with every family member, or upload to your computer. This is Cyber Week at Legacy Box, the one week of the year where their pricing discounts are bigger and better than at any other time, so take advantage of it. Visit LegacyBox.com slash buck for an unreal 
65% off their regular prices. That's LegacyBox.com slash B-U-C-K for 65% off. I want... Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Why are people still on the fence about owning gold and silver? I just don't understand. Have we already forgotten about regional bank closures, inflation, global instability, and the potential for serious world conflicts? You can look to precious metals for various reasons. One, having tangible currency on hand as part of your bug-out plan. Two, diversifying your portfolio as a hedge against inflation. And three, historically, gold increases in value over time. You keep yourself informed about global events. You see the increase in conflicts around the globe. Countries are buying and hoarding massive amounts of gold. Why aren't you? It's time to pull the trigger with the Oxford Gold Group and buy gold and silver. Nobody can predict the future, but we can't put our head in the sand either. The people with Oxford Gold Group are real pros. They make owning gold and silver simple and easy to understand. Call Oxford Gold Group right now and you may qualify for up to $10,000 in free precious metals. Call 833-995-GOLD. That's 833-995-GOLD. One more time, 833-995-G-O-L-D. Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean exactly that, free. Switch to Pure Talk today and get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fees, just a Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick-charging battery, and a top-tier data security system. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk will connect you to the most dependable 5G network in America for half the price of Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile. The average size family saves almost $1,000 a year. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Just go to puretalk.com slash clay and claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash clay to switch to the cell phone company my family relies on, Pure Talk. I wanted to hit you with this buck because this even moved through your, uh, your news cycle. It has turned into a big story and... I bet a lot of you have heard about it, but still many of you have not either. So the Kansas City Chiefs are a popular football team. Uh, They are the defending Super Bowl champions. They are the Kansas City Chiefs. A kid, probably based on the picture, Buck, I would say a seven or eight-year-old kid, maybe a nine-year-old kid, elementary school age, right? Second, third, fourth, fifth grade, something like that. Kid wore a headdress as a uh, to pay homage to, to dress up in a costume for a football game, which is not really that uncommon. And he also painted his face. Half of his face was black. The other half was red. 
Um, the Kansas City Chiefs' primary team color is red. One of their team colors is black. There's like four different official team colors of the Kansas City Chiefs. But he was wearing a headdress, half red, half black. He was appeared on the broadcast for a short period of time, and the shot that they showed on the broadcast, you could only see one half of his face. A website called Deadspin, which I believe has long passed its age of relevancy. Full disclosure, I worked on this website like 15, 16 years ago when it was still primarily about having fun with sports and had not turned into a crazy left-wing organization. A writer on that website wrote an article going after the kid and demanding that there be consequences for the Kansas City Chiefs and for the kid based on one half of his face being black. The headline said, the NFL needs to speak out against the Kansas City Chiefs fan in blackface native headdress. Uh, the NFL needs to speak out about this, you know, eight or nine year old kid that is wearing this uh, costume. Again, only based on one side of the face. I have been somewhat encouraged by how much this writer has been getting ridiculed, Buck. But. I think now you agree with me that the world of sports media is even woker than the world of politics. What was your reaction when you saw this story and it circulated through your uh, narrative filters? Well, I mean, respectfully, I think that, you know, if you couldn't hack it writing about politics, you know, for some people, sports is a little easier to do. That's why when I saw that AI writing Sports Illustrated stories, which now Sports Illustrated says is not true. I mean, yeah, I could sort of watch and write about the, uh, you know, who won in, in the game or whatever as well, right? I, I think AI is probably going to take over some of those roles pretty quickly. Um, but when I saw this, I was reminded immediately of, and we don't have this this club. Maybe I can get it to, uh, for later on this hour. But you know, when Elon Musk um, said, I think it was on the Babylon B podcast. I think he was on it with Seth Dillon, if, if memory serves. That wokeness is an excuse for people to be cruel but think they're virtuous when they do it that's yeah. really the heart of wokeness it was some, I'm, I'm paraphrasing but it was something like that that wokeness is just an excuse for people to be cruel what could be more cruel than to how old was the kid again I, i'm I, I don't know that they've identified like, with but like 10? elementary age i mean eight, i'm nine, saying like 10, second right? to something fifth like, grade something like that so like eight eight nine ten years old right yeah, I mean, yeah. that's something in that in that category let's just say he's, let's say he's roughly 10 years old to Try to um, really possibly destroy, given the way that the online world works these days, destroy the life of a 10-year-old boy or his future or in any way make him feel bad or make his parents feel bad over something that is so clearly a, it's not that it's inoffensive, it's a non-offense. There is no offense, there is no offense possible from this. It is impossible to be offended by this. You have to pretend to be the dumbest person on the planet to believe that this is in any way because let's get to it. What is it? They're accusing him of blackface. So they're accusing this this child of doing something that is meant to be a mockery of black people. That's insane. Yeah, that's insane. No one believes that. So that's why the, the Babylon B. Uh, you see this? They, they in response to this, they have journalists condemn little leaguer for wearing twelve percent blackface because of the, uh, you know, the <laughs> which what, is what, yes, what the eye black, the, eye black, or the grease, you know, the sort of uh, grease paint under their under their eyes for the. 
Um, and that's exactly what I was thinking too. Is a, where is where is the line here? Um, but I'll tell you this: as crazy as it is, in some left wing circles, this actually proves your devotion. It's like being the cult member who's willing to do anything, like willing to let the leader of the cult. You don't sleep with your wife anymore. Only the cult leader can sleep with your wife. Like, yeah, that's the ultimate devotion, right? If you're a leftist and you're willing to try to slander a 10-year-old kid, we saw this with Covington High School. And remember the Native American uh, yes. thing with the Covington High School kids? CNN was willing to slander. If you're willing to slander children to score political points, you're a psychopath. But it actually works in the left a little bit, Clay. It actually gets people sometimes. I think this this case, maybe he's gone too far, but usually it works to their favor. So, one, you mentioned the eye black and the Babylon Bee satirizing it. I believe we mentioned on this show, and I'm not sure what the resolution ended up being, a kid got suspended from his California school for wearing eye black too much, and they said he was using it and doing blackface. I The picture of the kid, sometimes people wear eye black and, like, turn it into a design, right? That's not uncommon, excessive amounts of eye black can be a trendy thing for someone to do as part of a football game. couple of things that, that I think also stand out here. I hope that this is a moment in time where people will reflect. If you are an adult demanding consequences for a kid in a costume, you are never the good guy. Period. Second part of this. Um, and I and I hope the internet can come to agreement on that. Second part of of this, and you hit on it. Can we get back to intent in the world? If you are intending to draw and mock black people by wearing blackface, you can be ridiculed, and you should be, in my opinion. But dressing up at a costume at a football game is not remotely that, right? So what is the intent here? And then ultimately, to me, this brings it home, and I tweeted this out, and I just want all of you to think about this. The same leftists who are going after a kid at a Kansas City Chiefs football game for painting his face half black and half red believe that it is courageous and brave for a man to win a women's championship by pretending that he is a woman. If you are out there right now and you are defending men dressing up as women as courageous and brave and a kid dressing up as an Indian or a Native American or whatever you want to call him as unacceptable and worthy of censure, you do not deserve to be treated as an adult because your brain is so broken you are a imbecile. This is where they are, Buck. Think of, I mean, I think it really drills and distills at home. Man pretending to be a woman, heroic, grown man pretending to be a woman, courageous for him to win a women's sports championship. Little kid goes to a sporting event and dresses up as the mascot of his favorite team. He's racist, and the entire league needs to take action. I mean, think about this. They're demanding that the NFL, what, track down the nine-year-old and do what to him? Not allow him to go to watch his favorite team play football games anymore? That's it's, that's it's what they're trying to argue for. But, but this is, again, the uh, the Musk quote. This was in uh, 2021. 
He said, at its heart, wokeness is divisive, exclusionary, and hateful. It basically gives mean people a shield to be mean and cruel, armored in false virtue. That is the single best, that's why I remembered it, the single best description of the heart of wokeness I've actually ever heard anyone give. Um, and it's absolutely true. And what could be a more clear example of it than this? Uh, the the notion that you would want to humiliate a 10-year-old as an adult writing for a website, uh, uh, you know, for, for... And think you're the good guy. And think you're the good guy uh, just shows the insanity to which, you know, the, the lengths of insanity to which people are go uh, willing to go. And I think that here, there's been a backlash against it. But, you know, there's also a part of me that thinks that, okay, they went too far this time, but there really is this, uh, th- there, are the, there are these rules now that are constantly in, in flux. And part of this has to also be, you know, people just need to calm down. Like the people who are looking for offense all the time, it's not enough to me to say, okay, we didn't violate, you know, some rule this time. It's why he was looking for, why he was looking for people to, to basically hate, you know, why he was looking for people who have violated some rule of wokeness. Um, there's something wrong with them. I mean, there's something deeply unhappy. They are the malcontents in our society and they're never going to stop because it comes from a place of, of, uh, of anger, insecurity and, and rage, quite honestly. And so they look for people. That's why I always hated that site Gawker, for example. It was just a yeah. trash heap. Cause it Which really owned Deadspin. Did it? Oh yeah, that's, that's right. the Deadspin was the that. sports arm of Gawker. The, these these are the these are the places on the internet where they made a business of being openly and outwardly cruel. One of the one of the best things. Speaking of Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan and Peter Thiel and the funding of that lawsuit to to get rid of Gawker was a service for humanity. Not quite along the lines of Elon buying Twitter. I know a lot of you don't know what Gawker is. You probably don't remember. You never went to the site. It was the place where. Character assassination and the destruction of people's lives was like a, just a constant LOL. It was all for the lulls, the LOLs. Um, I, and I hope it clearly has some of that still. Yeah, I hope this kid sues because he is a private figure who was defamed by a prominent publication. And, you know, we, we never got the result of what the Covington Catholic lawsuits were. They were all settled. Yeah. But when you're a private figure, this is a quick little side gesture of, uh, of the law. The standard by which media is required to treat you is quite different than if you are a public figure. And I would argue that a, you know, elementary school kid in the stands at a football game is not a public figure for purposes of adults coming after him. If anyone is a member of this family or knows who this family is, and they, I, I know some people that I think would be very, uh, very interested in helping, in helping in this situation. Uh, that family try to get a little justice for their son and for themselves. So reach out to our team here. Let us know how can we you, can get in contact. You don't have kids yet, Buck, but I just get so fired up anytime I see adults going after kids. An elementary school kid goes to a football game to cheer on his favorite team, and you demand that the NFL say something about him fa- pa- painting his face and wearing a headdress? Like, where are we that kids dressing up by as Indians is like kids can't even play cowboy and Indian anymore? I mean, is is more offensive than men dressing up as women? I, I yeah. just, I, I can't believe this is where we are. Yeah. You know, there's an ongoing battle for the fate of unborn children. The left is going the distance to make abortions as available and accessible as possible. 
But who's taking action to provide unborn children a chance at life? Well, the Preborn Network of Clinics is one such organization. They're 17, 17 years into their never-ending service. Each day, Preborn welcomes hundreds of pregnant mothers to their clinics. They offer support and counseling, as well as an ultrasound experience. It is that experience, the ultrasound, that so often creates that bond between mother and child. It gives her a chance to meet the child in the womb, hear the heartbeat, and to witness what's going on inside her body. And then, so often, that ultrasound leads to a decision by that mother to give life to that child. This happens about 200 times a day, thanks to preborn. That's 200 lives that are brought into existence. Preborn relies on donations from individuals like you and me. And right now, when you make a donation, it's matched by a silent donor interested in seeing preborn accomplish even more. So if you have the means, would you please consider a leadership gift to saving babies in a big way? Your tax-deductible donation of $5,000 will sponsor Preborn's entire network for 24 hours, helping to rescue 200 babies' lives. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250, say baby. Or donate securely at preborn.com slash buck. That's preborn.com slash B-U-C-K. Sponsored by Preborn. Hey there, it's Ryan Seacrest for Safeway. Now that spring is here, it's time to focus on self-care and revitalize your personal care routine. Now through March 26, head in store, shop for all your favorite personal care essentials and earn four times rewards points. Shop for items like Crest toothpaste, secret deodorant, old spice deodorant, or Gillette razors. Offer expires March 26. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com for more details. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation supports America's greatest heroes, our service members, and first responders who die or are severely injured in the line of duty, as well as homeless veterans. These are heroes we all owe a debt of gratitude to. The Foundation's Gold Star, Fallen First Responders, Smart Home, and Homeless Veteran programs honor the sacrifices made for us. We're honoring the men and women who risk their lives and bodies for our country and our communities. The Foundation's Never Forget programs engage people in 9-11 remembrance across America with over 80 runs, walks, and climbs a year. Not to mention there are dozens of golf outings and barbecues. The Tunnel to Towers 9-11 Institute educates kids in kindergarten through 12th grade about our nation's darkest day while helping our nation keep its vow to never forget. More than 95 cents of every dollar you donate to Tunnel to Towers goes to its programs. Never forget 9-11 or the sacrifices of our country's greatest heroes. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T2T.org. Hear fascinating animal stories to explore wildlife across the globe in Season 3 of Amazing Wildlife. Starting March 15th, listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.